If you have your Bible, open it up to Romans 5. Again, if you're new here, we just go through the Bible. Typically on a Sunday, we go verse by verse, line by line. The whole counsel of God is necessary to experience all of the good things that he has for us to equip us for every good work, as the Bible says. So we don't wanna miss any of it. And we've been going through Romans. And just to talk a little bit about what we're gonna be talking about today, something that's a little personal to me. Um, Many of you guys know my testimony in that my father uh, left our family when I was 10 years old. So I I didn't really grow up with my my biological dad. I did have a grandfather that kind of stepped in to fill that role and, and that was a blessing from the Lord, though I didn't know the Lord when I was younger. But my father left and some of the fallout from that was that I was looking to be loved by people um, while at the same time putting unrealistic expectations on them, basically because of the lack of love that was demonstrated in my father's actions or maybe his inactions, if you will, because that hurt me so bad, I had this great insecurity in a lot of relationships in my life. And what that led to is that I would not tolerate any action by somebody that I deemed to be a potential lack of commitment or devotion towards me, which in essence left me ending a lot of relationships prematurely in my life and really unable to love others because of the unwillingness by myself to risk being hurt by them. But when I came to know Jesus, I found a love that... I was searching for in him that I was not finding in any normal person on this earth. And because I was satisfied by the love of God, it allowed me to receive the love of others in my life without putting expectations or conditions on them, which in turn opened me up to loving them unconditionally as God loved me. And so too with us or you guys, when you experience the love of God in your life, it'll satisfy you in a way that no love from any person ever could. And because you're satisfied with God's love in your life, you'll no longer need to look to others in your life and the different, multiple different relationships you have to fill the void that they never could, which often we try to fill with those relationships close to us in our lives, like with our spouse or with our kids or with our parents. We, we look to them to love us in a way that they're just not capable of and it leads to disappointment and dissatisfaction. And when you are able to receive love from others the way you should, because you're getting the love that, you, that you're looking for from God, it allows you in return to love them as God intends you to as a result without any expectations or unconditionally. And this is very important truths for us to understand because it has the potential to affect every single relationship in your life, including the relationship with God. And so um, Paul is gonna spend the chunk of the text that we're looking at today talking about the love of God. And we're gonna explain some things that might not be so easy to see, but some specific characteristics of the love of God or what that entails that are very important for us to understand. So again, last time we were in Romans, we went through the first five verses of chapter five, and we saw Paul transition from 
the section of the Romans that kind of spends a lot of time telling us how we're all sinners, we're not looking for God, we've been separated from God, therefore we need to be forgiven of our sin and restored to God. And he transitions in chapter five to talking about, okay, now, he, now that you're saved, now that you've understood that you're a sinner, you need to be forgiven of your sin and th- through faith in Jesus you can be. Now that you're saved, here are the benefits of being saved. Why do you want to be saved? And he starts listing them, going through them. And the five that we talked about a couple weeks ago was that you're now at peace with God through your faith in Jesus, right? Before you're saved, you're not at peace with God. You're an enemy of God. You now have access to God. You have a relationship with him. He's always with you, never going to forsake you. You're subject to God's grace or favor, even if it doesn't feel like it because you live in a sinful fallen world and we're subject to the consequences of sin, which are always negative, God is working all things for your good and he's constantly showing his favor on you. And you'll see that time and time again. If not in this life, you'll see it in the next life. You also are gonna share in God's glory, which means that when we're with Jesus, we're gonna be like Jesus, like our earthly bodies are gonna be gone and all the things our earthly bodies are subjected to, like like sin and, and sorrow and pain, that's all gonna end one day, all right? Yes, amen. When, when we go through real hard things and we wonder, is this pain ever gonna end? It will when we're with the Lord, all right? And then we also have a reason to be joyful in suffering. Before you're saved, there is no hope when you're going through hard things, but Jesus has given us hope based off of what he tells us he's using them for in his word, amen? So those are the things we went through. Today, we're gonna see Paul continue to discuss the benefits of being saved. So we're gonna go through verses six through 11 in Romans five. Let me read them really quick and then I'll pray and then we'll go through this. It says in verse six, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let me pray one more time. Lord God, again, we just want to settle our hearts. I really appreciated what Hillary was saying. And just sometimes we can, even in worship, just sing the lyrics without thinking about what we're saying and who we're singing them to. We, we, we need to be intentional to remind ourselves we are praising God in worship and, and we need to be intentional to understand that the, these words are the very words of God. They were written by people, but they were inspired by God and they've been preserved through all eternity since they were written so that we could understand in full the things of you. So we didn't have to wonder. We didn't have to, in a sense, be a part of religion or making up who God is. You've made yourself known to us and you've made yourself like how you feel about us and the, and the plans you have for us. So this has all the answers that we're looking for in some way or another. And we wanna pay attention and understand that your Holy Spirit works through your word. It's when we're reading it, when we're hearing it, that your Holy Spirit personally ministers to us 
in ways that only you could know because you know what's going on in our, in, in our lives and in, in, in our innermost beings. So may we be ready to receive what it is you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So this next benefit, if you're somebody that's been taking notes as we're going through these sections and writing it down, the sixth benefit or the next benefit of our salvation that Paul gives us here is that you never have to doubt God's love for you. You never have to doubt God's love for you. He says in verse six, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And there are three important facts about God's love that are shown there in verses six through eight that I'm gonna hit on. So again, if you're a note taker and you like to write down points, write these down. The first being that God's love is shown toward those that don't deserve it. God's love is shown toward those that don't deserve it. So if you've been tracking through Romans with us, you know that Paul spent the first two, two and a half chapters basically explaining how we are all weak as it says there in verse six, or we're not able to save ourselves in our own power or strength. There's nothing, no matter how hard we try, even the best person in here, you can't live a perfectly right life in your own power and strength. You're gonna fall short of the glory of God. You're gonna fall short of God's standard of perfection because God's perfect and he can't be in the presence of anyone that's not perfect without dealing justly with them. So we are weak in that sense. We can't save ourselves. Paul also proved to us that we're ungodly. Basically, we don't look for God. We're not looking to do what's right. Even the right things that we think we're doing that are good before God comes into our life, they're based out of selfish motives. They're based out of making up for the wrongs we've done or making ourselves feel better. We're not looking for God. We're all ungodly and then the third thing, because of those, that is that we're all sinners, or we're all those that have disobeyed God's word, or what he says is right and good. That's the idea of sin. It's doing the opposite of what God says is right and good. But since the reasons for God's love are found in him, it's his character, it's who he is, he chooses to love you, and, and the reasons for his love are never based on you or me and the things we do or the things we don't do, that means that he can love the very people who are undeserving of his love. The weak, the ungodly sinners, as verse six through eight says, which qualifies every single person in this sanctuary, every single person in this world throughout history, all right? We are the ungodly sinners who had no strength to save ourselves, who God sent his son, Jesus, to die for on the cross because he loved us. So if you're here today feeling like you are not worthy of God's love, you're not, neither am I. But God says he loves you anyways. That's the good news, amen? And he's more than proven it to us, not so much or demonstrated this great love that he has not so much in just Jesus' Jesus's death, but in who it was that Jesus was dying for, right? 
because he was dying for those that didn't deserve God's love. That is what shows how awesome his love is. Amen? So that's the first thing I want you to know. God's love is shown towards those that don't deserve it because the enemy will try to come at you telling you that you don't deserve it. And you can simply say, I don't. But God says he loves me anyways. Amen? All right. And this leads to the second thing I want you to understand about God's love. And that is it's unlike anything we have experienced by another person on this earth. God's love is unlike anything you will experience from anyone else on this earth, okay? A person might be willing to die for someone that, as Paul says, is righteous or somebody that appears to live a life of doing what is right or maybe even more so for a good person or somebody that is kind to others in their actions, as verse seven says. Basically, somebody might be willing to die for somebody that would appear to deserve to have their life spared. But in contrast, God demonstrates a love for us that is beyond any love that you will or have ever seen throughout all of history in that Jesus died for those that are neither righteous or good or people that didn't deserve to have their lives spared because we were all guilty as heck of sin and the wages of sin is death. We deserve death, but that's who Jesus died for. Those that didn't deserve to have their lives spared. And Jesus' death on the cross, it was a personal demonstration of God's love for you in that he wasn't just sending his one and only son and willing to let him die for you, but Jesus being equal with God meant that God himself was willing to sacrifice or be a sacrifice so that you could be forgiven of your sin and saved. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, for, Paul, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And that crazy love that God demonstrated left John saying in 1 John 3, 1, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. What is this? I've never, this makes no sense that God would love us this much that we should be called children of God. And going to back what that my story, I was telling you about my own father and just what that did in my life. We can spend a whole lot of our life looking to be loved by people in a way, in this way that only God truly can. And God does love you. And when they fail to love us as we think they should, we find ourselves disappointed and hurt. And sometimes that's for right reasons because the people that are supposed to love us aren't reflecting that love in their actions. They're doing things that are unloving. But also sometimes it can be because we put unrealistic expectations on people to love us in a way that no one, including you and me, are capable of. But either way, there's one person who can love you in a way that'll never disappoint you. In fact, the more you get to know him and experience his love, the expectations you put on him will always be met and exceeded. And that's God. And he actually made you to be in this loving relationship with him. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin and experience that love. He did everything that needed to be done as we looked at the previous chapters in Romans. So we need to make sure that we're looking to experience this love that we're all looking for in some way or another with him 
first and foremost, not your husband, not your wife, not your kids, not your parents, not any other relationship. You look to him to experience that love, which will in turn help you successfully give and receive love with all the rest of the relationships in your life, as I mentioned at the beginning. Amen? And this finally leads to the third thing we need to note about God's love, and that is it is ever present. Verse six tells us that God sent his son Jesus to die at the right time. Now, part of that is speaking from a historical standpoint because in God's sovereignty, he knew when the right time was for Jesus to come and live on this earth and die on a cross so that that good news of being forgiven of our sin, of this gift of salvation could spread throughout the world. But also from a standpoint of you and me are sinners who needed a savior, Jesus died on that cross so that our sins could be paid for in full and we could be forgiven of them and made right with God. And that makes the gift of salvation, which is the single greatest demonstration of love that could ever be shown to you and me available to be received at any time by any person. So it's always the right time to be saved. Or in other words, or as such, God says, or Paul says in verse eight, God shows his love for us is in the present tense. He's actively always showing his love to you because the cross has happened. And so whether you're saved or not, God has demonstrated his love for you. He is demonstrating his love for you. He always will be demonstrating his love for you. You never ever have to doubt that. And this is important because again, when you hear that lie from the enemy that's saying God doesn't really love you, which you can especially be susceptible to when things are hard in your life or they're not going the way that you think they should be going. When you hear that lie, you can rebuke it or combat it with the truth of God's word in knowing that, no, God has said he absolutely does love me. This is one of those, those armors that Ephesians 6, 17 or 6 talks about when it's talking about the spiritual battle we're in and how we need to armor up, we need to stand firm in God, and it talks about in Ephesians 6, 17, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When you hear that lie that God doesn't love you, you need to put that helmet on of the truth of salvation. It's like, no, I'm saved. Jesus died on the cross. He's demonstrated his love for me. I'm loved right now. Well, he doesn't love you because you messed up. No, he loved me when I was the messiest. He's not gonna not love me now, now that I'm righteous because of Jesus, amen? So Paul goes on to say in verse nine, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved uh, by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so the seventh benefit of our salvation or the seventh thing you need to note, the benefit of being saved is that our relationship with God has been reconciled forever. Or basically once was what once what was a bad relationship with God has been made right through your faith in Jesus for all eternity. If you remember, Paul told us in Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Basically, 
God has every right to be extremely angry at every single person because of the sin we've done in our life. That's the bad news. But what's the good news? It's that God's righteous wrath or extreme anger against our sin was directed at Jesus at the cross instead of at us, and we've been saved from it as such, as verse nine tells us. Because we have now been justified by his blood, as verse nine also tells us, or because the blood of Jesus has paid the just penalty our sins deserved, and we now have been forgiven of them or made right just as if we had no sin, and God has no reason to be angry at you anymore. All right, that's another thing that you need to remember when the enemy tries to bring that lie to you. Paul tells us about this in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. He says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. That's what the good news is. It's a message of how God wants to reconcile you to himself, all right? Goes on in verse 20, it says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And the benefits of this reconciliation with God aren't only to be enjoyed in eternity, but also in the present, as Paul tells us in verse 11. Or it's not, it's something basically right now, as it says in verse 11, that you should be rejoicing in, all right? Because it means that we never have to question or be fearful on whether God is punishing us for something we have or haven't done in our lives, which would only be the case if God was still mad at you or if you weren't reconciled to him. But the love of God has shown us or the love God has shown us at the cross proves to us that he's not mad at us because Jesus took the punishments our our sins deserved upon himself so we wouldn't have to, all right? This is what it means to be reconciled with God, that God is no longer mad at you because that, that, that wrath was placed on Jesus who took the punishment for our sins. John tells us about this in 1 John 4, 18. He says, such love, this is the love we're talking about that we just went through with God. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So what John is saying there is that when when there's adversity in your life, when there's hard things going on, and we get fearful of the what ifs, or there, there could be this bad result that comes from it, or I could go through this. That fear is a misunderstanding at that moment of God's love for us. Because we're fearing, if we're fearing something bad's gonna happen to us, we're fearing that we're gonna be punished. But God has told us there is no punishment for a believer in Jesus Christ. That punishment that your sin deserved went on Jesus on the cross. So therefore, there's no punishment. You have nothing to be afraid of. God said, instead, my favor is on you, not punishment, favor. I'm working all things for your good, all right? And here's one thing that we can make a mistake of. Sometimes, my kids can be very guilty of this with me. They mistake punishment for what really is 
discipline, okay? They think that I'm punishing them or that I'm doing something that's ruining their life, but in fact, I'm just disciplining them. The, bit, the difference being punishment's aimed to hurt people. Discipline is meant to help them, right? All right? Any good father gives loving correction to their children to guide them away from harm and into happiness. And actually, the writer of Hebrews tells us about God's discipline in Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the, his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Or in other words, it teaches you how to live rightly according to God's will in your life. That's the point of discipline. Very different than punishment. We are subject to discipline as God's children because he loves us too much to let us keep sinning and harming ourselves, all right? But the believer, as a believer, you're not subject to God's punishment because we've been reconciled to him, all right? Amen? Another thing, again, gotta remember that because that's the thought that goes in our head when things are hard. Oh, I'm being punished. I did something wrong. I let God down. No, all right? And, and I love how Paul goes on to tell us in verse 10, if God was willing to do this all for us when we were his enemies, doesn't it make sense that we're gonna be even more blessed now or that we're only gonna receive blessing now that we've been saved and reconciled? He's like, God showed this love for you when you were at your worst, all right? So why are you doubting now that he's gonna continue to show love with you now that you're at your best because of Jesus, amen? Again, it never being based on your actions. You might say, well, I still dropped the ball. I'm not where I wanna be, yep but you're further along than you were back then, all right? We're all works in progress until we get to be with Jesus. But he tells us these things so we can have surety in knowing God loves you and you've been reconciled with him, amen? All right, well, as our worship team comes back here, I just wanna close with a few things. One of them is that what Paul is telling us in verses six through 11 is important for us to understand as believers because Truly understanding this, understanding the love of God and why you've received it, that's not on you or your actions, but it's based on the, the fact that God has chosen to love you and understanding that you've been reconciled to God, not because you're a good person or you deserved it in some way, but because through your faith in Jesus, this is what frees you from spending your life trying to earn affections, from God or earn his grace when you already have those things. You have those things not because you've earned them, not because you deserved them, but all by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so when you're going through that battle in your head, oh, I need to be a better Christian because then God will love me more and these bad things won't happen to me. No, you are the best you could ever be because of Jesus's righteousness on you. And God loved you when you were at your worst. So certainly, he, and he showed this crazy love for you while you were at your worst. So surely he's gonna keep showing it to you now, amen? All right, so as a Christian, that's so freeing, okay? That he loved us perfectly before we were even saved when we were at our worst. Now, he hated the sin, don't get me wrong. There's people in here today that have not placed their faith in Jesus. He loves you, he hates your sin because your sin is what's separating you from him but he loved you enough to make a way so you could be forgiven of it and brought to him, amen? All right, but here's the other thing. If you're sitting here today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, what this section teaches us is that there's no excuse not to, all right? If he, again, it leaves every person in this world without an excuse not to believe him and receive his gift of salvation. Actually, I'm gonna read a quote by theologian Charles Spurgeon because I like how he said it best. He says, you will say, oh, I am one of the worst in the world. Well, Christ died for the worst in the world. Or you might say, but I have no power to be better. Well, Christ died for those that were without strength. Oh, but my case condemns itself. Or in other words, I'm worse than everyone else. Christ died for those that are legally are condemned. Oh, but my case is hopeless. Christ died for the hopeless. He is the hope of the hopeless. He is the savior, not of those partly lost, but of the wholly lost. And he goes on to say, Christ died for the ungodly. This fact leaves the ungodly no excuse if they do not come to him and believe in him unto salvation. Had it been otherwise, they might have pleaded, we're not fit to come, but you are ungodly and Christ died for the ungodly. Why not you? Amen? Every single one of us, as I started in the beginning, we were ungodly, weak sinners. And we still would be without Jesus in our life. But that's who God came to save because he knew we needed to be saved. And so that is something to rejoice in (laughs) because that love that was demonstrated then is still just as real in our lives, probably even more so because now we have the Holy Spirit to help us tangibly sense the love of God and see the love of God when he keeps his word to us, all right, every day of our lives. So that, that understanding of his love, like I said, just continues to grow and it never, it only exceeds your expectations the more you get to know it, amen? And when we look to him to experience that love that we all need, we won't be looking to others to experience the love that they can never give us. And instead, as we love them unconditionally, we'll enjoy the love they have to offer. Amen. The Lord is wanting to remind us of his love today. That's pretty clear by the songs that were chosen even before they knew what I was talking about and where the Lord led me. And maybe there's, I can't help but think in a room this big, just even with a bunch of faces I don't recognize to this week, that there's people here that came here today not feeling loved, looking for love, probably in the wrong place if it's not looking to God for it. And today God brought you here, not by accident, so that you could know that he loved you, that he does love you. And that if you want to experience that love and the benefits of it that I went through earlier that we're going through in Romans, all the benefits of being saved, you can. 
Today can be the day, like I said earlier, today is the day to be saved for you because Christ has died. You can be forgiven of your sin. You can acknowledge that to God. You can repent. You can turn from going away from God. You can turn towards him and invite him into your life and he will come and respond. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna turn the lights off. We're gonna sing a couple more songs of worship as the Lord leads. We're gonna have our prayer team around the room. If you wanna receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come up to somebody and we would love to lead you in a prayer. You can do it right where you're at, just between you and God. But I know that when I first got saved, I didn't know anything other than I needed Jesus and I needed somebody's help to like understand how to get there. And so come up, we'll lead you in prayer. If there's something else you wanna pray, maybe that's you. Maybe that's you that's struggling in your marriage, struggling in some other sort of relationship because you're looking for them to love you in a way that they're not. And like I said, maybe it's justified because the way they're treating you is incorrect. It's not a loving way. Or maybe it's just looking to them to do something they never could because only God can. Either way, God is here to give you the love that you're looking for. And it can make up for any lack of love you're receiving from anyone else. And God wants you to leave here enjoying being satisfied by that love. Amen? So you can come up for prayer too because we want to bear that burden with you and lift it up to God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for reminding us of your great love for us today, Lord. Lord, it's something that we never want to grow desensitized to or insensitive of. It's your love that drew us to you. I know especially with me, Lord, because it was a love that I was looking for that I could not find anywhere else and I found it in you and I knew right away that you were who I needed and I never looked back. And Lord, it's so easy to, in a sense, go and and, and forget about that sometimes and try to look for that love in, in, in the people in front of us when really, Lord, it's your love that saved us It's your love that is saving us. It's your love that's gonna continue to save us. We just wanna look to you and understand it at even greater depths. So be with us now. May your Holy Spirit just, may we just listen and obey as your Holy Spirit speaks to us in this place. Whether you're drawing people to receive you as your Lord and Savior or just to shift their gaze to you and your love for them, whatever it might be, may we just be sensitive and, and, and be obedient as you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.